following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And RebelScum.com. You Rebel Scum. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Read a Star Wars novel today, and the Force will be with you. The Forcecast presents Jedi Journals. Welcome and felicitations, fellow Force fanatics, to another episode of Jedi Journals on Forcecast.net. This is the March 2011 episode, and I am your host, Jovial J. Now, usually I'm joined by Chris Wyman here on the show, and unfortunately, he's a little bit under the weather and couldn't join us uh, this month, but that doesn't stop the Jedi Journals from rolling along. We've got uh, several things to talk about here today. Uh, of course, going to cover uh, comics for February and for March. We've got a, a little bit of book news. And for all those people that set in entries last month, we've got the winners of our Clone Wars number one and two giveaway, plus a couple other surprises. First thing I'd like to get to is if you are listeners of the weekly Forcecast, you may have heard me on just uh, on the last episode, and um, or I guess it probably would be two episodes ago now, um, f- live from Rancho Obi-Wan. So I was out there helping Steve Sansweet put together his library and organize the space. Uh, he has he had a room that was just a one room library, and he was expanding it into the into a two room situation. Um, and the original library was just full of boxes of magazines and stacks of books that he'd gotten over the last couple years, and comics and a whole bunch of stuff. So what I was doing was helping move out all of that uh, paper and organize the shelves. They they were already set pretty well. But um, obviously, there were a lot of new books that had to go on the shelf, and there was just no room for them. So we expanded into the second area and moved over a lot of the foreign titles into the new area, which allowed us to expand and make room for all the novels and and English uh, books that uh, are going to go in there. So I was able to file everything away, and he's got enough room to grow now for a little while. But while I was out there, I had a few minutes to sit down with Steve and ask him a little bit about his library and some of his... uh, reading and collecting habits. So I'd like to play that for everybody right now, and hopefully you'll uh, find out some uh, some interesting tidbits. All right. Well, I'm sitting here with Steve Sansweet in the library of Rancho Obi-Wan Kenobi. And um, Steve, I was just hoping maybe you could tell me a little bit about um, how your library started in the first place. How did my library start? My God, Jay, that goes back <clears throat> a couple of years. Um I actually I didn't get the novelization in the paperback. I wasn't aware of that coming out when it came out in 1976, but it was uh at the time of the movie and I knew there was a novelization out there and so I picked up uh I guess it was a paperback. Um was it a paperback or the yeah, first book? Yeah, the yeah, paperback was the yeah. And I uh, picked that up and read it and thought, "Huh, that tells you some extra stuff. Gee, I, I didn't know uh, Ben was the bro. No, that was a Jedi. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's it started with that, and then as as part of collecting, um, I started buying some of the books, and uh, as part of the first encyclopedia, I read all the books up until uh, that. 
So, um, and then when uh, when the rancho was built here, you had an initial one room library, which is the original library piece, right? Which was, you know, I got these uh, great uh, shelf units, and I thought, well, man, there's a lot of space here. It's it's going to be great, and then. Um, and then it's it's sort of like a one large room that's divided into two rooms with a permanent wall. And so in the second room, I put uh, a lot of uh, shelf units with for the, all of my magazines, uh, English language and and foreign language and and the all the media. So you know the VHS and then the DVDs and and records and tapes and all that kind of stuff and. You know, for a while, I had a lot of expansion room there too. Yeah. So, how big would you say that the uh, the well, the two rooms are pretty much identical in size? They're kind of mirrors of each other. How how big would you say that is there? Um, that's a good question. So it's about uh, twelve feet by maybe twenty five feet. Okay, and it looks like we've got, at least in the first one, we've got about 18 different shelves. Some of them go all the way to the ceiling, and then you've got four smaller ones in the middle. And then we've got, what, about... Yeah, we, uh, we decided in the, in the, in, as we were expanding Rancho Obi-Wan, which I really haven't talked about much and, 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 and won't go into in detail until, uh, until it's all ready. But as part of that, um, I had not been able to shelve books for about two years now. And so it got messier and more piled up. And, of course, then I wasn't sure what I had and what I didn't have. And it was very frustrating. And, uh, and as, uh, as Ann Newman and I sat down to you know, plan out the remodel of Rancho Obi-Wan and a, a bit of an expansion, um, I said, you know, we need to do something about the library. And so I had already moved out all of the non-English language magazines and um, and we just decided to clear the room. There were some uh, old built-in cabinets left over uh, from the previous owner, uh, and some um, and some built-in tables. And then I had done this elaborate uh, bookshelf that uh, had to support um, hundreds of comics. And so I I think I think that would have stayed in an earthquake. And the wall would have come down. But so we got all of that out, redid it, and now we've just gotten in the shelf units. And I asked a really good friend from the East Coast, who I've been sort of bugging for five years, to come out and and, and help start the redo. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad to come out and help. Uh, we've we moved all the foreign stuff into its own wing now. So basically, uh, well, actually, no. I think it's still split between the two. So you've but you've got um, a good amount of space now to expand books as you know they come out. Hopefully, for you know the next five to ten years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, Hasbro has the license till 2018. We know that the 3D movies are going to be out one a year. Uh, that's the plan from 2012 to 2018. So I think it's very safe to say that, uh, you know, through 2018, uh, there will be uh, uh, lots of books coming out, both uh, fiction and nonfiction, and, and, you know, probably well beyond that. You had an interesting story you were sharing with me the other day about how you actually started your foreign um, side to the library. Uh, if you could share that with our listeners, I think that would be interesting. You know, I had some foreign books um, here and there that uh, I found on on expeditions or friends found and and uh, brought back. But um, it was really uh, as a result of having um, Celebration 3 
and at that time they were also purging the um, the Lucas books, the publishing archives, and there was just a lot of stuff because I think originally publishers had to send a hundred copies of everything, and you know there was just no room. They made the decision both on the product and on the publishing side to come down to a small archival selection of books that would be, you know, permanently kept. And so um, I, I got a call then from our uh, licensing archivist, Mark Went, uh, who had approved it up the, the, the chain of command and said, you know, we've got, we've got a bunch of these farm books. Um, can you guys use them? And I thought, well, yeah, we could give them away. I mean, we couldn't sell them but we could yeah. give them away to fans at um, Celebration. Yeah. And so I went over there to take a look, <laughs> and to my astonishment, there were 15 stacked pallets of boxes wow. from books over a 10- or 15-year period. There weren't very many really old vintage books, but lots of books from, say, the late 80s, uh, uh, through the the, the through 90s the modern, yeah. and and into the into the 2000s, and so then I had to go through those because I wanted a inventory and figure out what was what, and then I, you know, put away one of each so I would sort of have uh, samples, <laughs> and those samples uh, ended up here. And I thought, well, you know, this is such a large amount of stuff. We were sending our archives exhibit by truck, and so we figured we could get these on the truck, and Gen Con, which was doing the convention, agreed to pay for them. And that was one of the things that we advertised. You know, you would be able to walk into a room and get a bag full of whatever you want, you know, pick one or two books. Well, um, I thought, okay, well, we have to have some fallback when, with all the leftover books to maybe give it to, you know, figure out how to – leftover books we i mean we put out tons of books in a big room on many many tables and by the afternoon of the giveaway they were all gone uh, that's that's well that's great and and the fact is that i'm sure a lot of these foreign books you know it's the same cover art for the most part that the american counterparts share but some of them just have really unique stuff especially i'm seeing a lot of stuff with Jap japan and some of the french books as some well of, yeah some of the french books there's one series uh in particular of the french books i think there were 15 or 16 in the series that have amazing surrealist art on the cover and then the japanese books all of the uh, all of the novels for like the last 10 years are just it, there's only been one or two different artists, but they're astonishing, beautiful, beautiful works. Yeah. Well, um, so probably most of our listeners know that uh, you're going to be retiring from Lucasfilm as head of fan relations coming up here um, in just a couple months. And um, the most recent book you've worked on was the one you worked on with Ann Newman, The Thousand Collectibles. Um, is there uh, any plans for um, another book coming after this with your retirement? Well, I certainly hope so, and uh, you know, I I look at the word retirement and sort of laugh because uh, we'll put it in air quotes, okay? <laughs> um, because I I mean I'm still so busy, and I've got I've got a lot lined up, and a lot that I haven't that I know is waiting for me out there that I haven't even wanted to face yet. Um, because work is still busy, I'm I'm on a three day a week schedule now, and the and believe me, I I I keep pretty busy. Um, but yeah, I have some ideas. I, I, I don't want to go into specifically. 
Um, I've already pitched a one book project to uh, to Lucas Books, and I'm waiting to hear back. And and there are a couple of other projects, and one in particular. I don't know if it fits in with their schedule, but the one I get asked about most is a revisit to the Action Figure Archive and mm-hmm. to do a more complete... I mean, obviously, it can't be totally complete as long as Hasbro Action Figures still come out, but right. there are there are ways to do it and, and have a really comprehensive kind of book that's, you know, that's not... I mean, there's a, there's a great book out on the... Um, on the uh, uh, vintage figures that right, John uh, Kellerman has mm-hmm. done, and, and that's being updated. But, I mean, that's a real hardcore collector book. Yep. It's got great photos and and all these matrices and things like that, so you really know what you're looking for. I'm talking about, you know, a book that appeals to the more general collector and enthusiast. And, uh, and so, you know, we'll see. And, uh, again, all of these things... Uh, have to go through Lucasfilm, and sure. they and they have to fit into the publishing schedule, which now, at least in a general outline, goes out about five years, and not always specific books, mm-hmm. but it may plug in like hardcover novel, part of series, you know, and things things of that. Right, nature. and the nonfiction books fit into that. And the nonfiction books, yeah. like you know, Jonathan Rinsler's incredible making of series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, I hope he's working on Jedi now. And um, you know, I mean, we we have making of books for for episodes one, two, and three, but uh, but none of them are really like the in depth kind of way that Jonathan has done those books. The, the current ones, right? Well, I also know that uh, fans, um, and I mean, I include myself in that, are um, really love the vault and the kind of things that we were able to see in that. Um, any thoughts about doing a? a, a, a an expanded, or not even expanded, just more vault information. Yeah, I think um, I think on something like that, you'd have to wait a while. And the vault was sort of like the the Star Wars scrapbook ten years later on steroids. And uh, and I think I think that you know there there was probably a good place for something like that again. But I think you need to give it some time and uh, and have enough new stuff of interest, and then. Believe me, there are plenty of things that we couldn't include in the vault and ideas I had for, you know, the fold-out, take-out, do, rub-down kind <laughs> of stuff. And, um, you know, with technology making leaps and bounds, uh, certainly electronically, but also in the printing field and things like that, there will be things that you can do, you know, a bunch of years from now that, that we couldn't do two years ago. Yeah. Um, the same thing, I mean, I love doing the Thousand Collectibles book, and um, and it was fun to put that stuff together. But, you know, you, you could do uh, a, a different kind of collectibles book. There, there are all sorts of ways. Uh, um, there was one that I was talking with one publisher about several years ago, and it didn't work out for a variety of legal and business reasons on, on their side. Um, but but we could approach something like that again. So as we are sitting here in the library and having this conversation, just looking around at all of your stuff here, is there one uh, book or a series or something that is unique that you've got here that really stands out to you in terms of, um, I don't know, the uh, the – the the value of it in terms of memories or information or something else like that. Hmm. Um, 
mean, or, or even uniqueness, I guess, because yeah, yeah, there's a lot of right. unique stuff. So. And and there are things like that. Uh, one of the things I got in the um, in the deaccession process <laughs> from uh, from the archives and and um, and Lucas Books um, was nine of the ten volumes in Braille of Timothy Zahn's. Let's see which one. Hold on, we're going over here, and we're looking. We're looking. Um, so this is uh, book three, The Last Command, and it was done for the National Library for the Blind in the UK. And, um, and as I said, it's nine of the ten volumes. They're oversized. They're in Braille. It's fascinating. And, and then what I hadn't really thought about, you know, every book gets proofread. Well, oh, yeah. so do so do Braille books, and so there's a bunch of these brown pages where you can see these were the these were the Braille uh, punch scripts, and um, so these are just loose pages that are sitting, you know, kind of on top of the other binders like that. They've got some pencil marks on them, indicating check marks for check marks. No, that line's fine. That line's fine, and then you can see somebody has written, um, you know, just. Uh, in, in somebody who could read Braille and also um, was uh, cited right. has has done the corrections, and so oh, then wow. then yep. it all goes through. Yeah, amazing. And uh, can you imagine uh, proofing a Star Wars book with all of the names and planets and uh, whoops. Yeah, definitely. That uh, that that's what I was kind of thinking as you were pointing that out. How how confusing that could be, uh, you know, for for people reading it and going, oh, "What is this? Is this word actually spelled right?" Because they obviously can't yeah. see anything. So. Yeah. No. That, so you know. So there are things like that that are that are really unique. Then there are the um, I have found from time to time foreign books that are unique to say France or Germany or. Um, licensed uh, mm-hmm. the UK um, that have never been published in any other country, and uh, those things fascinate me too. I also have noticed um, you've got a few. I don't know if you'd call them production samples or mock-ups or things like that, um, where it'll be it'll it'll have a cover, but inside it'll be blank. Or it might be a typed version of it set inside a mock-up of a of another version of the same type of book. Yeah, and I've and I've picked up those things from time to time. Um, I've asked for some of them when they were my books. Uh, usually, a publisher, you know, on a nonfiction book, will do a a dummy book, and it's either it'll have a couple of pages, and they'll either do it to show at a book. Uh, a show, you know, a, a trade show, or and or they'll send it to Lucasfilm just to give Lucasfilm the idea of of what it's going to look like. And so I've been able to get a few of those uh, over the years from my friends in publishing. Well, Steve, I appreciate the offer to come out and, and work and look and play here in the library. No more than I appreciate yeah. you coming up because you've done uh, uh, an amazing job in just uh, a few days, and I'm. Uh, I'm thrilled to have a uh, a library again that actually looks like a library and uh, and and not something from a picker show or uh, uh, and, and be able to see what I have and what I still need to fill in the holes. Right. Well, and we can get into it now. You have space on shelves so that as you get new stuff, you can at least put it all in one spot, even if you can't file it where it needs to go. But hopefully uh, we've got that and we'll be getting a list over to Anne so she can update your your database with everything in it. And um, thank you for taking a few moments and sitting down with us here on Jedi Journals to talk to us. 
we'll have to do it again sometime. All right, sounds good. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed the Steve Sansweet interview as much as I had being out there. It's not quite the same, but it's a little something I could bring back to share with everybody. I'd like to talk about comics now, but before I get into that, let me just make sure that everybody realizes that we do have a spoiler policy in effect here on Jedi Journals. We may talk about elements of the storylines and the comics or the books, and we want to make sure everybody is aware that while we're not trying to spoil the end of any of these stories or any of the reveals that might be in them, there may be things that some people might consider spoilers. So just consider yourself warned as we continue on with the rest of the show here. One of the things you should be doing if you're interested in the comics is making sure you stay up with the Dark Horse website. DarkHorse.com slash zones slash Star Wars always has uh, interesting information from the editors, usually either Randy Stradley or Dave Marshall. And then the DarkHorse.com slash blog happens to have uh, Star Wars Fridays happening, and sometimes there's other information coming in there. Like they just had a contest to give away Star Wars The Old Republic number 1, Blood of the Empire, which, which is a trade paperback. And you have to be following them on Twitter for that. So uh, you can also be following them on, on Twitter if you're interested. But that's a great place to keep up with all of the information about Dark Horse. You can always catch up on what, the new, um, what new issues are coming out. For those of you keeping track, the issues that came out here in February were, uh, the previously mentioned, The Old Republic, Volume 1, Blood of the Empire. Now, that was the second three issues of the six-issue series that was published, which, uh, for those keeping track, was the republishing of the online comic episodes. So issues four, five, and six made up Blood of the Empire, and that was the first uh, trade paperback published. The reason they did it that way is because Blood of the Empire chronologically comes before the first three issues, which is called Thread of Peace. So it it, it gets very confusing. Um, and for those of you trying to keep up with the Old Republic timeline right now, there's stuff that's being published and it's all over the place. So um, trust me, I'm, I'm having trouble keeping up with it myself. Uh, the second issue that came out uh, in February was Night Errant Aflame, number five. And uh, that was the conclusion to the uh, first five-issue arc of the Knight Errant uh, series. So now that you've read that, you should all be picking up John Jackson Miller's uh, book, paperback book of uh, Knight Errant, and then reading along with that. And then you should be ready for the next new issue, which probably will be be announced uh, coming out later this summer. And then the last two issues that just came out are Darth Vader and the Lost Command number two. Uh, the second part of the five-part series there, which is a really great series so far. And Star Wars Legacy War, number three. Uh, we're about halfway through that series. And it, again, classic legacy stuff. That that's, uh, that's a really fun read as well. Coming up in March here, uh, people can expect to find uh, The Empire at War, Omnibus, number one. That publishes a number of issues of The Empire series. I think we talked about that previously on the show. It kind of skips around in the um, issue number, but what they're trying to do is present everything chronologically for that. Um, and then the other two issues scheduled for March later in, later at the very end of March are Darth Vader and the Lost Command number three and Legacy War number four. Let me also take this uh, time to remind everybody to mark your calendars for Saturday, May 7th. Saturday, May 7th, um, as frequent comic readers will know, is Free Comic Book Day. This is a an annual event that's been happening for, I don't know, it might be like the last six or eight years now. And what happens is participating comic stores get free comics to actually hand out. 
uh, from all the major retailers, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, a lot of smaller retailers. And every year they pick a different uh, title. It's not always a Star Wars title. Dark Horse has different things. Sometimes they'll do a Hellboy. They did an Umbrella Academy, uh, which is kind of a mystery horror comic. Um, but this year uh, they're coming back with, I think it's their, it's either the fourth or fifth Star Wars title. Actually, I think it's the fifth Star Wars tie-in to Free Comic Book Day. And this one's going to feature Savage Opress, or Savage Opress, uh, depending on who you talk to. Um, It's going to be a flip book, which means that uh, there'll be, on the Savage Opress side, there'll be a Clone Wars story. Then you flip the book over, and you can read a different story on the other side. The other story is not Star Wars related, but um, anyone who is a fan of Star Wars who um, does not know anything about Avatar, The Last Airbender, and I'm not talking about the movie that was just made. I'm talking about the cartoon series that was on Nickelodeon. Um, that's the flip book. And you should be reading that and you should be watching that TV series. That that show um, takes some of the best mythic elements, I think, that uh, Star Wars also deals with and puts them in a really fun storyline uh, for kids and for adults. So again, that's uh, Saturday, May 7th. And you can check out the website and find out about all the other comics that are going to be available at freecomicbookday.com. We'll now get into the books for February uh, that came out. Um, of course, the book that everybody, uh, I'm sure, has pre-ordered on Amazon right now um, is Star Wars Frames. Of course, that just came out. That's you know, three thousand dollars. That uh, you know, I'm sure everybody has the the wherewithal to to buy that. It is limited to uh, one thousand one hundred and thirty eight, eleven thirty eight copies. Um, if you uh, have the Forcecast iPhone app, you might have heard Chris and I talking a little bit about that and uh, how we could justify spending that much money on a book to our girlfriends and or wives. So, why don't you check that out on last uh, month's show? Okay, but down to the books that you you probably have gotten or may want to uh, try to find in your local bookstore. Uh, There is Star Wars Mysteries of the Jedi, which is a DK hardcover with Yoda on it. And it's a a book that kind of compiles all the information about the Jedi and the Force. Um, It's a little bit like the Jedi Path, uh, but uh, aimed at a younger audience, probably... um, 8 to 15 or something like that, I would say. Um, it's great. It's got a lot of pictures, a lot of other behind-the-scenes information gathered gathered together in it. Um, there was the Fate of the Jedi number 4 Backlash paperback edition. So uh, for those of you that don't want to spend all the money for the hardcover edition of the Fate of the Jedi books, uh, you can catch up uh, with that. There is a Lego Star Wars Ultimate Sticker Collection, which is one of these huge, like, 100-page books of uh, stickers and and other little activities uh, to keep, uh, you know, young and old entertained. And the Lost Tribe of the Sith number 6 ebook, and that's called Sentinel. And that's got a preview of the next um, Fate of the Jedi book, Ascension, in it. All right, well, I'm joined here on Jedi Journals with Eric Geller from TheForce.net. And uh, Eric is going to talk to us a little bit about the sixth book in the Fate of the Jedi series, Vortex. So, Eric, what can you, what can you tell us about well, Fate of the Jedi and maybe uh, give us a little background on, on the series for people that may not have completely caught up to this point or who haven't been paying attention or just have forgotten? Sure. Well, Fate of the Jedi basically starts with um, the aftermath of the previous series, uh, uh, Legacy of the Force, where Luke uh, Skywalker has basically been expelled from Coruscant 
uh, the the chief of staff has said, or the chief of state of the uh, Galactic Alliance has said, we hold you responsible. I'm not going to get too spoiler. I guess Legacy of the Force, if people don't know, uh, there's a big dictator problem with one of the solo kids. It's a long story, but basically they blame <laughs> yeah. Luke for it. Luke gets expelled. Ben goes with him, uh, Ben, his son. They basically go on a journey to sort of figure out where Jason Solo went wrong. They, uh, along the way, end up meeting with a uh, tribe, uh, the Lost Tribe of the Sith, and they discover a, uh, I think it's fair to say, a huge menace in the galaxy named Abeloth, which is just this sort of force entity uh, we don't know much about. But uh, at this point, they have, they're about two, I think, two books through uh, working with the Sith to try to stop Abeloth. And that's sort of where we are at the beginning of Vortex. And 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 the the Lost Tribe of the Sith that you mentioned, those are the um, that's where the e-books uh, that I just mentioned tie in. Um, I, I talked a little bit about uh, book number six of the uh, Lost Tribe of the the Sith book series, which just came out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that this is sort of the um, the post. Uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, what we're seeing of them, and that was that was John Jackson Miller building up to sort of what we're seeing here in, in this series. Cool. Okay. So, um, so just overall, again, we we don't want to you know give away too much about about Vortex, but um, um, what can you tell us about the the storyline as uh, as it gets started? Well, one of my favorite things about this book is the fact that Troy Denning, I think the author, really knows how to write Luke and Ben well. Uh, that's one of the things, because they're sort of two of the biggest characters in this series, and because we see them a lot, it's important that Ben is believable and that Luke is believable. And I think he does a really good job of showing them in a, in a sort of a tag team environment where they have the witty banter that Star Wars is known for. They have the, the obviously, the Jedi skills that, that, um, that we like to see, you know, that we were big fans of in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really, I, I got the sense anyway that, their relationship had re- sort of reached a point where they didn't really need to communicate, you know, uh, out loud. You know, they have this right. sort of uh, anticipation of what they're going to do in battle or in a conversation. There, there are a lot of great scenes where Luke will say something, and Ben will sort of pick up on how his father wants him to sort of play along with with a little a ruse or a plan. Kind of a shorthand and, that they've got between the two of them. Right, and that that is sort of very important because you can't really show Luke having a relationship with his son. Uh, without sort of showing the teamwork that he had uh, with Han, with, you know, just sort of a very familial uh, environment that I don't think we, we didn't really get enough of before. We certainly didn't get as much of it with Han and Leia and their kids, and I, mm-hmm. I really like where this is going. So um, uh, for those who don't know, Ben is, he's a teenager now in this series, correct? Yeah, he's 16, I think. 16. All right. Wow. And hang, still hanging out with his dad. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so but that was really interesting to me. I like that. I also like um, if you if anybody has been reading uh, Fate of the Jedi uh, so far, they will know that uh, we have a new character named Vestara, who is um, a, a. I think she's also sixteen. She's from the Lost Tribe, and basically at this point, her, uh, her dad, and the sort of one of the Grand Sith overlords. I don't remember the exact term from the Lost Tribe have banded together with Luke and Ben. And they're sort of traversing the galaxy. And she is really interesting because um, based on what I said before about Luke and Ben, I think it's really important that you have another character to sort of step in and and cause trouble. And now not only is she a Sith, so there's always that element of mistrust, Mm -hmm. but she's also a girl, Ben's age. And that is sort of a very refreshing thing to see in this series because we didn't really get – we haven't really seen a lot of Ben's – sort of weak spot in that regard, you know, the, the relationship angle. And mm-hmm. I know that people say that these books have a tendency to get really soap opera-y, but I actually think 
that you can't really have a series like this where Luke and Ben have to have this sort of weird, strained father-son relationship where they're in exile and they can't really talk to their, their, their friends back on Coruscant. You can't really have that without the strain introduced by you know, Luke worrying about where Ben's going. Uh, and that's, just, you know, that's not just with the dark side. It's also the fact that um, he's sort of literally flirting with the dark side because Vistar is this very appealing character and you don't really know where that's going to go. He also, uh, Ben, wrestles with the possibility of redeeming her uh, much in the same way that Luke uh, thought about redeeming his father. Uh, you have this sort of exploration hmm. of w- what does it mean that she sees so much value in the Sith way? What can I do to sort of change that? And I actually think Troy Denning does a really great job of sort of explicating the subtleties that Luke had when he was, you know, he, his big thing was that he would not give up on Vader. And, and that actually paid off. I think Troy Denning does a great job of showing that Ben is really quite headstrong in a lot of ways, but particularly in the sense that once he sees somebody who he thinks can be redeemed, he doesn't give up easily. And so he always have this, there's this great rapport between between them when they're sort of working together in this very edgy environment where he'll sort of basically flaunt the fact that his goal is to redeem her and she'll sort of not too subtly say, you know, good luck with that fat chance. And mm-hmm. I really like the uh, the sort of the witty repartee between them. I think that they make a good team uh, in a sort of a new way. We're not really used to seeing the gray area of the conflict between light and dark, and this is a great way to see that. Right, and it's, it's just an interesting dynamic that they're that's taking uh, a, a dynamic that has existed, but there, but Denning kind of turns it around a little bit and puts his own spin on things. Right, because there's this relationship angle, and and that sort of that takes the idea of playing in the gray area to a new level. I think. Okay, so. Um, what else? What else have you found uh, about uh, Denning's writing style, or or the the pacing of the book, and everything like that? Uh, you you said that you know some people have complained about the the series overall being too soap opery. Uh, what's your what's your take on that whole aspect? Uh, well, I personally don't get the sense much that there are um, just sort of generally meaningless scenes strewn throughout the book. That I know some people have expressed that feeling. I do think that. There are elements of there are certain subplots um, like the trial of Tahiri, who uh, was was uh, Jason Solo, later Darth Cadis's apprentice in the previous series. She's now on trial for uh, she's trying to prove that he sort of manipulated her through the Force to make her do some pretty horrible things. Mm-hmm. I don't think that is a very interesting plot. I think it's sort of it's grounded in this very legislative and 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 litigatorial. Uh, atmosphere in this in this courtroom on Coruscant and there are certainly good bits of dialogue in there there's her her attorney is sort of a very quirky character in a lot of ways but the overall plot I don't think really adds too much at least so far to this bigger picture of Abeloth who I mentioned before uh-huh. and the idea of the lost tribe and their emerging threat I just think that they could have done without that subplot you know I think we've just invented another brand new word here on the forecast which is a uh, lig- litigatorial Oh really? Yeah. Is that a, is that not a new? I think it's litigious. Okay. I think litigious is the word you're looking for. All right, but we, can, we can fix that in post. No, you know we always <laughs> we always end up making up new words here on the show, so that's totally cool. So all right, litigatorial. I like. <laughs> it. All right, I we'll, we'll we'll tweet that. All right. Um, so um, on a let's let's do two things here. So on a scale of one to ten for uh, book six vortex from the Fate of the Jedi series, where do you where do you place it? Because it's about the it's it well it's a little over the midpoint. Of the series, we're on the we're on the kind of the almost to the home stretch because it's a nine issue series or a nine book series here. Yeah, I'd say it's probably. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble here. Somebody's going to email and say, "Really, you thought it was that good?" But I actually really enjoyed it. I think that it's probably 
that's maybe an eight for me. I mean, okay. I just I don't look for the same kind of grand storytelling in books that I do in the movies. It's just really hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think given the first of all the context where they're working in the era with the characters that Troy Denning has available, he does a great job of sort of showing not only the Luke Ben dynamic, but introducing Vistara, introducing Abeloth, and sort of weaving it all together in a way that, at least to me, it feels like I'm reading the Star Wars that should be taking place in this era. Okay. And then overall, in the series as a whole, uh, with six books here, um, not counting like the Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, ebooks or anything that are affiliated with it, what do you, where would you place the entire series in terms of uh, 1 to 10, uh, knowing you know that there are all sorts of other series that people can go out and read? Where would you... Where would you kind of calculate this series overall oh geez um it's hard to remember the early books i do think that it's it's certainly gotten a lot better with vortex a lot of people were saying that that turned the series around so i would have to say with 10 being the absolute first series you should read if you first get started and Mm -hmm. one being the last if you can put it off i would say uh, it's probably around a a four or five it is it is quite good but there are definitely series like x-wing um some books in the New Jedi Order are really good. You mm-hmm. have sort of the more classic era Han Solo adventures. So sure. I would say it's worth it. Certainly, if you're looking at post-Return of the Jedi, if you can skip through Legacy of the Force and you don't mind just sort of reading a condensed spoiler version of that plot to get here, I think it's worth reading. Yeah, that's one problem with reading some of the post-Return of the Jedi um, the books because it it's, feels like you almost have to have read New Jedi Order to understand what's going on in like the Dark Nest trilogy or in Legacy of the Force. And then I'm afraid that you then feel like, well, I have to read Legacy of the Force if I want to understand what's going on in Fate of the Jedi because you know every every series ties in so much to the one before it. And, you know, they're just so huge. So hopefully if they continue on this storyline or on this uh, this chron- chronological path after Fate of the Jedi and have some other titles, uh, maybe they won't rely so heavily on what has come before. So people can feel like they can just step in and pick up a book, um, you know, and not have to really worry about what's going on. Or at least maybe, like you said, have a condensed spoiler-ish version. You know, maybe they can do like a who knows, like a 30-page outline book or something well, like that. What about a Jedi Journals episode where you take five minutes and speed read a plot summary of everything <laughs> after Return of the Jedi? Just get that out there. You can, you can submit that. Well, maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll have to do that after the, uh, after the, last, after the ninth book uh, in the series comes out. We can, um, we can uh, dedicate uh, an episode to uh, New Jedi Order, an episode to Legacy of the Force, and then we'll do an episode for uh, Fate of the Jedi. That's a good idea. Maybe we should try that at some point. Uh, I, if we do, I will get you back to help out with that definitely cool all right so um any any final thoughts on um on the book that you want to share or anything that's uh that you thought was really cool and uh memorable about it uh not not really i just you know i, I like uh saba sabatine who's one of the jedi masters right. in the council so just sort of yeah. you know that that sort of little bit of miscellaneous i thought i would mention because she's a really sort of interesting Jedi Master on the Council, and yeah, Troy Denning does a great job writing her. Yeah, she's been around for for a long time in the books, and has become definitely a fan favorite, and uh, yep. um, has has shown up off and on throughout these series. So that's really cool. Well, Eric, I appreciate you taking some time to stop by to to uh, talk to us about Vortex, uh, Fate of the Jedi number six by Troy Denning, and uh, we look forward to uh, having another re- review from you at some point in the future. Thanks, it's been my pleasure. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, and as far as remaining books that everybody may be interested in, here is what we know is coming in the future. StarWars.com has revealed to us Fate of the Jedi Ascension 
by Christy Golden, which we've known the title for, but they finally showed us the Ian Kelty cover, and that book's going to come out in August of 2011. So if you are interested in uh, looking for that, you can either look in the Jedi Journals or you can go back to StarWars.com slash vault slash books and scroll back through their stories to find that. They also revealed to us this last month the cover for Shadow Games, which is the new um, Maya Bonhoff uh, book that's coming out. And uh, it's coming out October 2011. This was the one that was originally called Hollow Star. And um, uh, she's been blogging about it on her blog. So uh, we hope to have more information about that as, uh, as it comes available. Um, there are, they, uh, StarWars.com also announced two new paperback re-releases. Uh, the first one being Darth Maul Shadowhunter, which was the uh, paperback prequel to Phantom Menace, as well as The Phantom Menace, the, uh, the uh, adaptation of the film. And these books are going to each feature a new original short story. So it's going to be the same book, but there's going to be a little bit more in it. Kind of what they're doing for the Heir to the Empire uh, uh, 20th anniversary re-release. Uh, we don't know who is going to be uh, writing the short stories yet, but these books are set to be out spring of 2012 to help coincide with the uh, Episode 1 uh, theatrical release re-release in 3D. Um, They've also let us know that there is a character encyclopedia coming from DK. Um, this is going to be in the same style as the Clone Wars character encyclopedia, so a slightly smaller size, probably hardcover, cover maybe 100 to 200 um, uh, characters from the films, not from, uh, not from Clone Wars, but I, I would guess it would cover the entire saga based on the cover art we're seeing. Uh, for those of you that did not pick up the Jedi Path Vault Edition, which is the one in the big box that was about $100, uh, good news, the, uh, Dan Wallace announced on Twitter and also StarWars.com announced that Jedi Path is going to be out in book-only form. Instead of having the gray cover, it's going to have a blue cover so that you'll know the difference. Uh, no price point set, but I could imagine that would only be about $20, $25, I would think. And then there's some new young reader books coming out. So there's like a, a 3D Lego Star Wars book called Anakin Space Pilot and two more of the um, young readers uh, learning to read books from DK, Ultimate Duels, and Adventures of Han Solo. And then some late-breaking news that we've got here. Um, Eddie over at TheForce.net just announced from following J.W. Rinsler's Twitter account, which if you want to do that, you can follow uh, J.W. at... at J W Rinsler and that's R or it's J W R I N Z L E R over at Twitter and he over the past couple months has announced a number of things in there and Eddie kind of compiled them together for us. He will be writing a new ILM book. So for those of you that remember, there have been a couple um, ILM books. There was the original one. I want to say it was back in the mid '80s, and then there was a one later. Um, Might have even been as late as 9091, something like that, called Inside the Digital Dimension or Inside the Digital Realm. And uh, so there's a new book going going in there, and I'm sure they'll talk about all the amazing advancements that ILM has done. So he'll be writing that. He should know by the end of February here, uh, if he's doing a Making of Jedi book, he's in talks with the publisher, he says. I would think that's almost a slam dunk. I would be very surprised if they did not continue and make another Making of book for Return of the Jedi. He also lets us know that he's working on a Star Wars, another Star Wars art book, much like Star Wars art visions, 
This one will be called Star Wars Art Comics. It's going to feature art from different comics artists like uh, like Jim Steranko and, and, and other visionaries in the field like that, people who may not have ever done um, Star Wars art before. So that's very exciting, uh, especially for me, who's a huge fan of a, ver- uh, a variety of different comic artists. And finally, um, some of you may have heard he's talked about this for a while. I think uh, they might have teased this on StarWars.com at one point, which is Star Wars The Blueprints. And this is different than the Blueprints Rebel Edition or Blueprints, the classic trilogy. Um, This is going to be actual blueprints that he has found from um, the making of the films. So blueprints of sets or other things that they've got in the movies there. So um, I'm I'm interested to see where that's going to go. So again, as we find out more information on on all these, stay tuned and we'll have the information here for you on Jedi Journals. Okay, and finally, we're going to talk about some magazines here. Um, the month of February saw the release of Clone Wars magazine number three. And as Chris and I talked about last last time, uh, the, the magazines are finally showing up for me. This one showed up a little closer to the release date, so hopefully issue four will, will be right on time for me. Um, Clone Wars magazine number three shipped on the 1st of February, so uh, you should be able to find that in your stores still. Um, and uh, issue number four doesn't ship until April 5th. So this is, uh, again, this is bi-monthly, so um, you can uh, go find the cover. It's got Anakin and Ahsoka kind of leaping down um, towards the towards you as you're looking at it uh, on a kind of whitish cover. So it may be hidden behind other, com- or other magazines in the rack at the local store, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Star Wars Insider is uh, uh, didn't have anything coming out uh, this month. The next issue, issue one twenty four, ships March uh, f- March fifteenth, and we haven't had any information at this point revealed about that. So keep an eye on Star Wars dot com and RebelScum dot com and TheForce dot net, and we'll uh, have some cover information as soon as that comes its way. Now the moment uh, I would say a number of you are probably waiting for, we had a announcement on the last show that we had uh, issue uh, three copies of issues number one and two of the Clone Wars magazine to give away. And we just asked people to send in their information and what their favorite moment from season three was so far. And I was going to give away three copies or three pairs of these magazines. Well, thanks to the generosity of Steve Sansweet and Rancho Obi-Wan, I actually have eight copies to give away. So, um, we got a number of entries in, uh, all sorts of great feedback on our show as well as the Clone Wars. And just before I started recording the show tonight, I got my son Campbell to help me draw the names out of my hat, out of my, my Skywalker Ranch hat hanging on the back of my door here. And uh, we've got uh, eight winners here to announce. So the first winner is Brian Klein from Villa Park, Illinois. And uh, again, we asked people to send in what they thought their what they thought the best moments of season 3 were so far. So here's what Brian has to say. He says, first off, great job on the show, guys. I'm as big a fan, if not bigger, of the EU than of the saga, and I love hearing your guys' take on it. Secondly, my favorite moment of this season of The Clone Wars has to be seeing the theatrical showing of the Night Sisters trilogy on the big screen here in Chicago. Not only was it breathtaking, that opening space battle was as movie realistic as you can get, just like the landing at Point Rain episodes battle. And I also got to talk to Jimmy Mack. I was interviewed by him, which was pretty cool in itself. But then it was broadcast on the weekly forecast. The writing of that arc was also superb, especially the way it T-canonized the Asajj backstory. Also, I may be in the minority here, but I've enjoyed the piece... 
uh, sorry, enjoyed the pace and more cerebral stories told this year. I have enjoyed the political aspect shown because it gives you a reason as to why the sides are acting the way they are. It doesn't always have to be lightsaber battles in the force, but I also really enjoy the action as I've seen in the last four episodes that have aired Night Sisters trilogy and part of the Mortis trilogy. So congratulations, Brian. Uh, our next winner is Denny Sheeler from York, PA, just up the road from me here in uh, Baltimore. He says, my favorite moment of Clone Wars Season 3 from Episode 60, Altar of Mortis. Seeing the dark side of Ahsoka Tano on this past Friday's episode and watching the moment with my 12-year-old son. And he also adds, if it were not for the podcasts like Jedi Journals from ForceCast.net, I would not have received so many Star Wars books this past Christmas from my wife. Every time a new book was discussed, I added the title to my wish list. I've been hearing that a number of times through people who have been writing in. They say, hey, thanks so much for the information on the comics, the books, the magazines. And the only thing I hate about the show is that my wallet is getting lighter. I know. I'm, I'm sorry that we're, we're giving you guys so much good information that uh, you can actually go out and use here. Okay, the third winner is Mark Hunt from Columbus, Ohio. And he just puts it very simply. He says his favorite season three moment, the debut of Quinlan Voss. Well, excellent. Mark, I enjoyed that one very much myself. And, and uh, if you go back and listen to the roundtable on that, uh, I was a guest host on that and uh, gave my two cents on Quinlan's uh, uh, debut in the uh, Clone Wars as well. Our next winner is William Malay from St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, or is it Newfoundland, Canada? He says, my favorite moment from Clone Wars Season 3, hmm, definitely not something from the Mandalore arc, LOL. I'd say it probably have to be a tie between the first appearance of Quinlan Voss in The Hunt for Zero and the reappearance of Qui-Gon Jinn in Overlords. I'm a huge fan of Quinlan Voss from the Dark Horse Republic days. I even got to meet the model Jan Dersima used, Doug Wengler, and he's a pretty cool guy. So yeah, it was really cool to see Voss in the Clone Wars show, especially how they handled him with the psychometric ability, coolness. As for Qui-Gon, well, not much needs to be said there. It's Liam Neeson back after more than 10 years, and as Filoni said, it's Qui-Gon talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. That was just mind-blowing. Can't wait to see his next appearance. William, hopefully you saw the end of the Mortis trilogy with the next appearance of Qui-Gon, and hopefully he'll appear at some other point outside of the mythic or imaginary or not-so-imaginary realm of Mortis, and maybe we'll uh, get a little more answers to... um, why that scene in Revenge of the Sith was never there. Okay, our next winner is Stuart Tullis of Dothan, Alabama. Um, I'm assuming it's Dothan as in, or maybe it's Dothan as in Bothan. Who knows? Um, He says, my favorite part of season three, maybe it would be the heated political discussions of the roundtables. Wink. They're a lot of fun to hear, especially since I can relate with at least one person in those discussions. No, my real favorite Uh, from season three has to be the Darth Maul reveal. Um, He says, the kids and I didn't take the trip to Atlanta for the screening. It was on a school night and Atlanta was about three to four hours away, but next time they'll decided they've decided they'll go anyway. But as they were watching the final episode of the night sisters, Savage, Savage press trilogy, the heat and electricity was palpable in the room. The kids and I were about to bounce off the walls for the whole show. I started to get a bit distressed as it seemed that Savage was going to get taken out by Dooku. And I said, hey, they have another opportunity to have a great character as cool as Darth Maul, and they're going to kill him off as soon as we get him. Didn't they learn anything? Well, Opress escaped. He goes back to Dathomir and seeks advice from other Talzin to find a new master. And then Darth Maul is revealed to be alive. 
I got chills. I'm getting them as I'm typing this. The kids jumped up. Abby looked over at me with a knowing smile. Luke started hopping around the room. I think we were all hollering, and Jessica, well, she thought we'd gone mad. Maybe we have. What a great night. Well, Stuart, I think a lot of people can relate to that one as well. Okay, our next winner was Pete Jones from Renton, Washington. And Pete says, My favorite season three moment has to be the showing that Lucasfilm folks put on at local theaters here in Seattle. The freebies and interaction with Lucasfilm staff were first class all the way. I will forever be a fan of that organization because of what they did for us that night. Plus, the episodes they showed were simply awesome. So, yet another vote for the Night Sisters trilogy. Uh, I think we can kind of see a pattern here in uh, what fans are liking about the uh, about season three so far. Um, our next winner is Adam Hazy from Ashtabula, Ohio. Ashtabula, Ohio. Uh, my favorite moment in season three was the first two episodes with Clone Ninety Nine. Okay, so going all the way back to the beginning of the season here. Um, I've always been a huge fan of clones since the Republic Commando book series. After reading those books, I got an understanding of them, and 99's story in the first two episodes was a moving one showing that no matter what happens to you or what you go through, you can always help out and become a hero. And our final winner is Andy Romero from Phoenix, Arizona. And Andy says that being a member of the 501st and Rebel Legion, I was lucky enough to troop the Savajo press screenings here in Phoenix. My costume for that troop was Admiral Ularan, and the guys in armor were at one point sent into the screening theater and told to stand at attention. After about five minutes of me working the door, I was asked to also enter the theater by our handlers. At that point, I saw my buddies joking with the crowd until one of the troopers in his 501st Blue Clone saw me enter. In a loud voice, he proclaimed, Officer on deck! And they all stood at attention as I strode up and inspected the troops. We got a gasp and then laughter from the crowd as they watched me tear into the troopers there. It was a great night had by all. So that's great. Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, people are so uh, invigorated by season three uh, from early episodes to the most recent ones. You know, it, it, it sounds like um, people might uh, not have picked on some of the, uh, the ones that in the uh, later half of the first half of the season, but... I'm sure there's some good things that will come from those as we as we ruminate on those. So again, congratulations to our winners of the Clone Wars magazine issues one and two, Brian, Denny, Mark, William, Stuart, Pete, Adam, and Andy. That's it for the March edition of Jedi Journals here on ForceCast.net. We want to make sure that uh, you have a way to get in contact with us because we think the feedback is valuable and uh We'd love to hear from you. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, what else you might like to hear from us? And you can do that by sending an email to jedijournals at forcecast.net with any comments, questions, or complaints on the series. We, we honestly want to hear from you. Uh, and so please, don't be shy and let us know how we're doing. Until next month, this is Jovial J for Jedi Journals on forcecast.net saying, keep on reading. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of TheForce.net LLC unless otherwise indicated. 